0: Hi, this is Annie Foxer, Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Amy Alomar. Amy has been working and researching in the field of education as a teacher, teacher educator, researcher, and educational reformer for over 15 years. She is also the author of a brand new book called Parenting for the Genius, Developing Confidence in Your Parenting Through Reflective Practice. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. Thanks
1: for having me. (laughs) We want to talk about your new book. And tell me the title of it, please. Parenting for the Genius, and it's Developing Confidence in Your Parenting Through Reflective Practice. Okay,
0: so we have reflective practice to talk about. And my understanding of the word reflective practice versus reactive practice, which is where, where most parents are from. Tell me a little bit about that subtitle and why you chose it.
1: Yeah, so reflective practice is actually something that's commonly used in education, and that's my training is as a teacher. And I realized that some of my best parenting moments were coming when I was actually applying reflective practice. And the definition of it is looking at your decision-making and your actions, using that experience to inform your future decision-making and your future actions. And so when I would look at my own parenting day-to-day, I would see, when I was thinking about it and truly processing it and using that experience to move forward, learning from my mistakes or even building on great experiences that I was having, um, that was when I was sort of in the zone. Mm. Um, And I realized I was drawing on my training as a teacher and we use that as teachers to kind of inform our curriculum, inform our classroom management, inform our engagement with the students. And so, to me, there's a very natural connection between using reflective practice and actually doing your, making your parenting decisions.
0: Okay. Well, it all sounds great. And I certainly know as a teacher myself that you, you have, um, lesson plans and you've thought things through and you're very much in control as much as you can be about what happens within the curriculum that you're presenting. Parenting on the other hand is often done on the fly and <laughs> literally you are out in the world um, and things happen and your kid responds to them and they respond to you in certain ways that are absolutely unpredictable. And so I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment because, of course, everything I do is always reflective. <laughs> <laughs> but that reaction, that fear reaction that parents often have to keep their kids safe and, and um, or to correct their behavior if we're embarrassed in a public situation, yeah. it seems like we are often the antithesis of reflective. So how do parents, in your way of thinking, um, reflect on their emotions rather than let those emotions drive their parenting?
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't ask anybody in a very emotional moment to stop and reflect and think about what you're doing because that's ridiculous and it's impossible. Um, Again, going back to the teaching, the best laid plans, right? You do have control over your curriculum and to some extent the activities in the classroom, but you don't have control over how a learner is going to learn, or the chemistry that's going to take place in that classroom that day, right. and so um, yes, it's more of a lab situation than actual parenting is. Um, but even there, you have some some effort in figuring out and sort of on the go, right? And so using that experience in your parenting, I think when you're when you're out there in the parenting world, when you're embarrassed, you, you use that example. When you're embarrassed mm-hmm. by your child's behavior. Um, It feels very easy to react in the moment and get upset. Mm -hmm. And you may do that, and that's okay. But the important thing then is when you get home or when you get to that place where you can stop and think, and it may be a whole day later. It may not be in that same evening. But when you have time to think about it, really do process that and what went wrong. And almost every single time. You can figure out what the trigger was. Was somebody hungry? Did somebody need a nap? Were you not in your best place because you were thinking about work or somebody Mm -hmm. called on your cell phone? So thinking about what the trigger was and identifying that is 75% of the battle. Once you've done that, you still may make the same mistake again. You still may react. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're human, but you can start to kind of reform, like we do in education, right? You can start to reform your practice and you can start to work toward a better way to react next time.
0: I oh, know. I like that. Would you suggest then that you um, kind of review the incident with your child, depending on their age? And, and uh, I, I mean, this is kind of a, a rhetorical question because I'm thinking the benefit of that would be to help your child understand that sometimes mom and dad react in a way that isn't always helpful to the situation. And to, to say, you know, yesterday when we were at the store and I got really upset when this happened, I've been thinking about that and have a conversation about that.
1: Absolutely. Use your words, right? Um, and you're talking, you're describing, of course, you're a teacher too, right? You're describing metacognition, right? Like Thinking about what's going on, what are the steps involved, and then talking it through with your child so you can both better understand each other. Who's at fault? Who can help one another? How do we support each other in that moment? And also explaining your own behavior. It's not a problem. If you lose your cool, it's no problem to apologize for that. That's what you'd want your kid to do with you. So why not apologize for losing your cool and explain what made you do that and then say next time we're there. I love role-playing. I talk a lot about role-playing in my book. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a great example when you are in the grocery store, say, and your kid you know, does something and you lose your cool role play it, pretend you're back at the grocery store, go through it. It's funny. The kids will laugh. You can start to do pretend fits and talk about where things go wrong. And when you start that young, the kids really fall into it, but it's not too late to do that with adolescents. Adolescents can do that too. And talking through problems is the number one way to solve them because they know they can come to you no matter if you're part of it or not.
0: You know, I really love this idea of role playing. We have done it a lot in our family as our kids were growing up, and and it it's a very empowering way to review something instead of being left with the oh, I made a mistake. I'm a terrible kid, you know, or I'm a terrible parent. I reacted this way. To be able to say, okay, wait a minute, this was not handled the best way. Um, what can we do so that the next time those kinds of feelings come up? Maybe a different situation, but the feelings, you know, they revisit us. Yes. And, and yeah. the next time that happens, um, how can we both um, proceed um, in a in a healthier way and in a um a more respectful way.
1: And so, trying yeah. different solutions to that, right? Like truly asking the question and let your child be you in the situation or be another parent or, you know, somebody else involved and trying on different hats to really see what is the better way because you may not come up with it. I'm often surprised when we talk through issues in our family, either, you know, one kid and another kid or with us or just something that happened at school. I'm often surprised um, pleasantly at how my kids will come up with the solutions quicker than I can and more creatively than I can.
0: Yes, and you know what I found as our kids were growing up, I would often hear them give advice to their friends Mm -hmm. and use some of these techniques, taking a very um, um, kind of sophisticated approach to helping their peers analyze feelings and um, brainstorm options for what they could do when their friends felt stuck and nothing makes me feel prouder than knowing that some of the techniques we use in our family um, got so internalized that our children then being um, able to help their peers in these kinds of situations. It's like, I love hearing that kind of stuff. Absolutely great. Um, I'd like to segue for a minute about independence. Because yeah, you're because-
1: developing them as social emotional learners
0: yeah um the idea of independence for kids in in a age where so much of what comes through in the media for parents is is um i don't want to use the word fear mongering but it it makes us very fearful anyway and um I know in your book you talk about helping kids gain independence, which of course from my perspective is it is our parenting job to to develop and launch a fully independent, fully functioning young adult into the world. And yet it seems that so many parents, Amy, are so tied up in knots about letting their kids experience even the smallest amount of independence outside of their sight that I wonder, I wonder how, how today's parents will in fact help their kids develop what they need.
1: Well, and first of all, remember, independence doesn't mean full autonomy. So independence can include, you know, leaning on others. So teaching your kids to come to you or somebody else to find a trusted adult or friend that they can help um, or that can help them rather. But I see your point, and I think that it is kind of scary to give your kids independence, and I definitely am afraid to do it in certain situations, but you can't let fear be your guiding, you know, uh, light. You need to make sure that you're also helping by showing, you know, don't live in fear, live in hope, and really push through and know that your child can do this. And then prepare them for it too. You know, don't just throw them out there to be on their own and run off to the park by themselves at age six. You know, walk with them to the park, show them how to get to the neighbor's house or the mailbox or the corner store, and let them have small bits of independence along the way. Support them. Um, if you have an older child and you haven't been doing that it's time to start. If you have a tween or a teen, it's really time to let them go and, and, and cut the string, cut the cord and let them go off on their bike or hang out with a friend at the mall or go to the movies and really let them test those waters. Always being there to catch them, you know, let them call you, um, let them know what to do if something goes wrong.
0: But I, I find, I mean, of course, I agree with everything you say and I'm trying to listen to it through, through the ears of some of my viewers on this podcast. Absolutely. And and um many of us feel so anxious about having our kids outside of out of our sight that um we are holding on way too tightly and way too long. And so when teens write to me via email as they have been for over seventeen years, I often hear from teens my parents don't let me do anything. And there's a lot of resentment And I I certainly can understand it because their, their psychological trajectory at this point in their life as a 14, 15 or 16 year old is to have more opportunities to spend independent time with peers. And if mom and or dad are holding on so tight, then the child, the young adult at this point is feeling like. I just want to bust out and, and, and when they do that, it is reactive and it's like, I'll show them. And they're then almost trying to do, um, they're, they're trying to gain independence in a way that is not always thoughtful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're going to rebel. Um, so I think trust, trust is a huge issue here and you have to build trust. And the earlier you can start building trust, obviously the better, Um, but it's never too late. And I think these talks, these discussions, this reflective practice and walking through with your child, that reflective practice will help develop that trust. So, um, really talking about when I do, when I let you do this, this is my expectation of you. And if it doesn't work out that way. Talk about it. Talk about earning trust, losing trust, and every time you lose a little trust, how are they going to earn it back? And, of course, it's different for every situation right. and every child. But if, if a child is trusted to be independent and go on the computer by themselves and you find that they've gone to sites that you know, were not approved by you and you had talked about this – then, you know, you have to, the child has to earn that trust back. That's a form of independence. They have to show you they can use the computer responsibly. Maybe they only are allowed to use it with you in the room for a period. Maybe then they have to start asking you for permission every time They want to use it, and you sort of slowly wean them and get them back to that independent state. And the same thing would be true about leaving the house and actually leaving the safety of their parents' arms, right? Um, You just slowly let it happen, and if something goes wrong, you reel them back in, because that's your job. Your number one job is to keep them safe and to teach them how to be good human beings.
0: Good. I'm so glad you paired those two together, because I I think for a lot of parents, Uh, especially anxious parents, they think only of the first part. My job is to keep you safe. And the other part is also part of the job description. Okay. Well, we've got only a couple of minutes left, Amy, and I would love for you to tell us again the name of your book
1: and also where people can find out more about you and your work. Oh, great. Well, it's Parenting for the Genius, and it's developing confidence in your parenting through reflective practice. Um, And I have a brand-new website, um, amyalamar.com, so you can read more about me and the book and contact me through there if you like. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Amy amyalamar. So I would love for readers to engage with me in conversation and ask questions, and I'm happy to to talk with you. Great. You have a lot of
0: wisdom, and I'm sure that, that this book is going to help parents calm down, reflect, and and, um, I think ultimately enjoy the relationship between them and their children while they're preparing their kids for life in the 21st century.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's my number one hope is that parents can finally get some relief from doubting themselves in their decisions and find some confidence in knowing how to take charge of those decisions in the future and not just constantly beating themselves up because I, I don't like to see that. I don't like it in myself and I don't like to see it in my friends and, you know, parents that I work with.
0: Excellent. Thanks yeah. again for your time, Amy. Good luck with the book.
1: Thanks, Annie. Take
0: care. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens and teens, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my brand new book for girls ages 8 to 12, the girls' Q&A book on friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. Tune in next week when my guest will be Barbara Gruner. Barbara is a school counselor and a character educator. She's also the author of the new book, What's Under Your Cape? Superheroes of the Character Kind. Until next time, happy parenting.